0: Thank you so much. I needed that today. God thoughts. Have you ever had any? I think it's uh, it's an important thing for us to realize that Jesus was a revolutionary. Jesus was a revolutionary, and one of the things that's trademark about any revolutionary. Is that they challenge the status quo and they purposefully premeditate to interrupt thought patterns, belief systems, and to challenge people's assumptions. See, Jesus was a revolutionary, and that's the reason why they killed him. They killed him because he interrupted, he challenged. He disrupted people's preconceived ideas about God, each other, the scriptures. And the incredible thing is, is that the same Jesus that was a revolutionary 2,000 years ago, those of you that have called upon him and made a decision to follow him and have received the Holy Spirit into your life, you've been given his mind. You've been given the mind of a revolutionary. You haven't been given the mind of a peacekeeper. You've been given the mind of a peacemaker. And those are two different things. If walking with Jesus has never brought you to a place that every single belief system that you have, every single thought about what's right and what's wrong, every opinion, every assumption has not been thoroughly shaken and messed with, then I'm not so sure you're following Jesus. God thoughts. I want to start a conversation that will go over the next couple weeks about what it means in regards to us as believers, those of us that have called upon the name of Jesus, what it means to have access to the mind of Christ. When you think about the mind that imagined the entire universe, when you think about the mind that has been with the Father since the very beginning, when you think about the mind that was able to rationalize that Lazarus had been dead for... X amount of days, but that he was able to do something about it. A mind that looks at impossible situations and says, I can do something about that. A mind that looks at people that have just crucified him and nailed him to a cross and says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. A mind that has seen every heavenly mystery a mind that has been there and seen firsthand men and angels formed from an up-close and personal experience. The mind through which all things have been created and all things are being upheld by the word of his power, that mind is on the inside of you. And I don't think we think about it enough. To be honest with you, I believe that the most undervalued, untapped resource In the life of the believer is the mind of Christ. I believe that Jesus wants to radically transform our realities, but he has to go through the door of our perceptions. I believe that Jesus wants to supernaturally invade every area of our life. And the residue of heaven is what he wills to mark us with. But I believe that he wants to do that Through the doorway of our perceptions. I believe that we've actually been redesigned. How many of you have made a decision to follow Jesus and asked Him into your life? The scripture says you've been born again. You're a new kind of creature, you're a new type of humanity. To get really technical, you're the most truthful form of a human being in the entire planet. You're more in line with Eden's design than anybody else on the planet whenever you make a decision to follow Jesus. And the scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that those of us that have called upon the name of Christ, we have been given his very mind. Talk about thinking through a problem if you had the ability to access the mind of Christ. Talk about working on your marriage if you had the ability to legitimately think like Jesus in regards to your spouse. Talk about looking at your financial situation and being able to access the mind of God and his wisdom on what you should do in that particular area. Imagine that your work relationships and your co-workers and your friends, imagine everything that you touch has the ability to be processed through God's reasoning system. Can you imagine it? The reason it's important to imagine it is because imagining it is the first step to acknowledging it. For those of you that have called upon the name of Jesus, Christ's mind is in you. What are the implications of what that really means? See, I told you we have the mind of Christ, but we don't think about it near enough. Because what we've done in thinking about Christ's mind is we have really watered it down to just some really good moral concepts. To have Christ's mind means that I'm learning how to be nice to people, that's a very watered down version of the mind of Christ. Well, Christ's mind in me means that I'm able to just be more patient with folks. How many of you know that that's true? You should be able to be more patient with folks, with Christ's mind. But is God's mind on the inside of you really just so that you can be nice and patient with people? Okay. So let me back up here for a second before I tell you something that's gonna hopefully draw you in a little bit more. Have you ever really allowed yourself to not just say but to believe? Because we say things we don't believe a lot. Belief has more to do with the way that we act, not just the things that we say. Have we ever really allowed ourselves to ask the question, what Is my life capable of being? And what quality of life am I able to have if I actually believe that I have the ability to think about everything that my life touches, myself included, through the mind of God? What would that do to your life? Well, I can tell you what it would do. It would transform it. What would that do to impossibilities that you're facing? It would blow them up. <laughs> what would it do to strain in your relationships? It would heal them. To be honest with you, I think that so often we allow ourselves to say things like, man, I want to see all of my life transformed. I want to see God touch every area. I want to see God invade This part of my life and I'm just ready to see my life change for the better. But in the middle of saying that, so many of us are not really interested in changing the way that we think. I counsel people every single week that want their life to change without changing their thoughts. That's problematic. (laughs) That's actually called insanity. Insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Why did God give us, according to 1 Corinthians chapter two, the mind of Christ? Well, I can tell you why, it's because you need it. And a lot of Christians I talk to, they make it sound like whenever you get saved, God wants to remove your mind. And they start acting just ridiculous. <laughs> and doing things that doesn't compute. It doesn't, it doesn't add up. And I would like to say that from the book of Romans chapter 12. That God's not interested in removing your mind. He's actually interested in renewing your mind. That your mind isn't the problem. Your mind, without the touch from God... And it being transformed and recreated to look more and more like Christ's mind. That's the problem. Your mind, the way you think, the way you feel, the way you behave, the way you process, is extremely important to your relationship with God. And it's extremely important in regards to His will and His power being released through your life into everyday situations. And very often what we do is we try to engage in things that are external changes. We try to paint over situations in our lives knowing that underneath there's unresolved problems, there's unresolved conflicts. If you can literally partner with the Holy Spirit to change the way that you think, to change the way that you believe, to change the way that you process then I really do believe that the sky is the limit in regards to not only the blessedness that God wills to release in your life and through your life, but your depth of relationship with the Lord and the people around you. You see, Jesus is a revolutionary. And if Jesus is a revolutionary, that means that he still has the capacity to totally revolutionize your life from the inside have you ever been in a relationship that you felt like you were contributing something that mattered? You know, I enjoy the relationships that I have in my life that I feel my gift and the way that God's designed me actually being exercised and useful in I love being able to give the parts of who I am that are uniquely designed by God and use those in relationships with people to help bring about God's will and God's work in that situation in their life I love being in relationship with folks that I feel like I'm being helpful I like relationships where I feel like I'm not being a burden I'm actually being a blessing I like relationships that I'm connected with and people say, I've never thought of it that way. The way you broke down that problem for me, the way you gave me that perspective, that's really opened me up to a new way of thinking. I love those kinds of relationships because it's beneficial, mutually. I get to give away talent that I have and ability that God's given me. And the people that I'm connected with, they get to receive a wisdom that they wouldn't have had before I spoke with them. Anybody have any relationships like that in their life? A few of you? Praise God. Get in a life group if you don't. You know that we were designed in God's image. According to his likeness is what the book of Genesis tells us. And there's little things about us that have the ability to point us to God. And I know that this goes without saying, especially in a good Wednesday night crowd like tonight. But the whole point of this thing in regards to walking with Christ isn't about behavior modification or rule keeping. It's about relationship. And the more that we grow in relationship with God, you can believe that our behaviors and our rule keeping will change. (laughs) It's a natural byproduct of walking with Jesus. But you know, I really think... That the same way that we come alive whenever we're connected to people that are drawing the gifts out of us that God's placed on the inside of us. See, those relationships in which you feel like you're contributing something and you're helping another person. Those are the relationships that remind you and connect you to your purpose. And to live purposeful is a blessing from God. Most people that I talk with that are depressed, that are confused, that are disengaged from life, it's because they don't feel purposeful. They feel insignificant. They feel like they don't bring anything to the table. How many of you know that it's a lie from the enemy to believe that there's no purpose to your life? God has individually created all of us with a unique gift set. He's uniquely created and engineered all of us with unique talents, abilities, and skills. And it's this beautiful thing whenever we realize that part of the reason why we As creations made in his image find enjoyment whenever we link up to people that are drawing from the things that only we can bring in that relationship is because we're actually getting a small taste of how God feels whenever we invite his blessing and his discernment and his wisdom and his ability into our life. Do you know that God delights in sharing his thoughts with you? God delights in speaking to you from this mind of Christ that's on the inside of you and bringing you into his perspective. You know how I know this? Because in John chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus talks about this amazing friend that we all have access to who's called the Holy Spirit. And 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us that the Holy Spirit is how we have access to the mind of Christ. Christ. His mind made possible on the inside of us because of his spirit. I love reading some of the taglines in those chapters in the book of John that I mentioned in regards to the Holy Spirit. Things like he's the helper. I like this one, the counselor, the great teacher. He actually told the disciples, it's better for you. Jesus told them, it's better for you that I go away so that I can send the Holy Spirit to you. Just like the mind of Christ, I believe, is the most undervalued, under-exercised resource in a Christian's life, I believe that the Holy Spirit is the most ignored, excluded member of the Trinity. Because we have all these thoughts and beliefs whenever people say things like, Holy Spirit people have more baggage in reference to the Holy Spirit than they ever have about God or Jesus. Because what they've seen sometimes is Christians who got, didn't get the memo about their mind being renewed, not removed, <laughs> showcase what was the Holy Spirit and what it really was was a counterfeit. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is not to scare you spook you, or even entertain you. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to lead and guide you into all truth. Can I get a witness that there's nothing more truthful than what God thinks about any situation? The Holy Spirit, I am going to talk spiritual tonight, so you're going to have to pay attention. The Holy Spirit is this ally, is this friend is this counselor, is this teacher that we all need to be learning how to engage in such a way that our relationship with him is deepening. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that Jesus has left us to lead us and guide us into all truth. And it's by means of the Holy Spirit, once again, in first Corinthians chapter two, that we have the mind of Christ. Let me tell you why most of time we're not accessing the mind of Christ. It's because we're more consumed with our thoughts than God's thoughts. And the reason I know this is because all of us, this time in history, more than any other time, I believe, is plagued with a sickness called anxiety. Everybody is nervous. Everybody is anxious. And everybody I talk to is fearful. Fearful always, all the time. We're fearful because the news tells us that the terrorist threat is level orange and we're fearful because they might run out of that pizza that we like at the buffet. (laughs) We have illegitimate fears on both ends of the spectrum, some legitimate fears. We constantly have stimulus. We have things that are informing our thought life that do not rest, do not be silent, that tell us how bad everything is in the world. I was reading a statistic one time, and it said that people in 21st century living, and that's in case you're new to the party, that's us right now, are exposed to more bad news in one day than a person 150 years ago was exposed to in their entire life. That's why we're nervous. That's why we're anxious. That's why we're fearful. Do you know that God's not given us a spirit of fear in accordance with 1 Timothy, am I right? 1 Timothy, did I get it right? Yeah. Okay, for you Bible scholars, I'm not one, just in case you know. We have one on staff. His name is Pastor Jacob. I don't need to be that, so I do my own thing. Okay? I'll do that in my part, okay? So you guys will help me. I need help with memorizing the Bible. I do the, if you want to be really, I'll tell you the real truth. The reason why I preach the way I do is because I've accessed the mind of Christ. Amen. And you know, Jesus never quoted chapter or verse. He always just said, it is written. So the reason I do that is because I figured out how to preach from Christ's mind. I'm not saying anything about anybody that quotes chapter and verse. I'm just telling you about me. (laughs) Philippians, another letter of Paul, chapter four, verse eight. This is actually at the tail end, and you know this one. This is where Paul says, in a few verses before verse eight, he says, be anxious for nothing, But in all things, make your supplications, your requests known to God. Tell God what's bothering you. But be thankful. and says this, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. And he goes on in the closing to say this. Finally, he's done preaching. Finally, he says, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. Do you see how none of this fits what CNN place Or Fox. If there is any excellence, I'm an equal opportunist, just so you know. Okay? I don't, uh, I don't bow to the elephant or the donkey. I follow the lamb. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, if there was a place to get offended, that was it right there. And- Pastor Randy will be back in a week and a half and he'll counsel you. If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See, the only way for us to access God's thoughts is can I be honest with you? We've got to get a grip on our thoughts. And people will tell you a lot of kooky stuff, and people will pretend like you get to this place in God to where you don't have to worry about distracting or vile, perverse, fearful thoughts. And if anybody ever tells you that, they're full of garbage. Deliverance and being set free from paralyzing, nagging thoughts is not about never having them again. It's about no longer being controlled by them. See, we set people up for failure in the church world when we talk about freedom and we talk about deliverance and we say it in this way that makes it sound like, you know, you're free if you're not tempted anymore. No, the only way you're not tempted anymore is when you die. The way to be free and the way to have victory is accessing God's mind and knowing that I don't have to be controlled by that temptation. I don't have to be controlled by that thought. But see, whenever we dwell and we allow ourselves to be fed things that are contrary to what's in the mind of God, and sometimes we are struggling to really even recognize God's thoughts in our mind or hear God's voice from our spirit. And he knew this. It's why he left us a really long book full of stuff that he's already said. And you know that stuff that he said is stuff that he had thought. So if you ever struggle with what's God's thoughts, the best place to start is the Bible. This is like really this is really crazy, I know, to think that we should read the Bible, but we really should. It would help you. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4 tells us finally, brothers, whatever's true. Do you know God's not a liar? So none of his thoughts can be a lie. Whatever's honorable, do you know God's not dishonorable? So none of his thoughts can be dishonorable. Whatever's just, do you know that God is not unjust? So any unjust thought could not be from him. Are you, are you catching me? Can I move on from this particular point in peace? Good, good. Because I want to tell you a funny story. It's really the like, thing I'm the most excited to talk about tonight. But before I get there... If we want to be able to start accessing God's thoughts, if we want to start activating Christ's mind on the inside of us, if we want to engage in the work of the Holy Spirit that Romans chapter 12 tells us is the renewing of the mind, then we've got to see that one of the things that the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to bear, to lay hold of, in regards to one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is something called self-control. You know, my problem with people talking about the Holy Spirit in a way that when He moves, He'll make you out of control is it's actually contrary to the fruit He's supposed to produce, which is self-control. I've never seen anybody respond to the Holy Spirit in a way that they weren't willingly in cooperation with. Different talk for another day. God's mind, accessible on the inside of you, by means of the Holy Spirit. Christ's mind, living and active, ready for you to start to engage with, to process everything in your life. But the way that we do it is we have to come into an awareness of it. The way we come into an awareness of Christ's mind is by starting to think the way that he thinks. That's what activates it. So, well, how do we do that? I just read it to you. Whatever's true. Whatever's honorable. When we purposefully choose to set our mind on things that match those descriptors, what happens is, is we get our awareness into a proper place to be able to access Christ's mind. We get our mind off of our natural tendencies and pathways that have been carved in our brain over all of our lives, and we actually develop new pathways. Do you know it's possible to train your brain how to think? Neuroscience is finally catching up with this stuff. Paul said a long time ago before they could do scan of your brains and study neurons. Do you know the habits that you have is because they're literally carved in your brain? You know you default to worry because neurons have fired for X amount of years in such a fashion and order that the default for you is worry. Do you know that when... Romans 12 says that you actually have the ability to have your mind renewed. What's actually happening is, is whenever you make a decision to do what the scriptures are saying, what the Holy Spirit's leading you to do, and you make a decision to will, mix your will with God's word, something entirely new is actually carved into your brain. And what happens is it's like a sculptor with this lump of clay. And the enemy, in bad circumstances in your life... And lies that you've been indoctrinated with and what the news has screamed at you, what politicians have screamed at you, what your parents have screamed at you have all contributed to certain marks and pathways on this lump of clay. We're all born moldable, innocent, pure. And the world starts its work on the way that you think. The world and the systems of the world, the darkness in the world starts to teach you the way that you're supposed to behave and it seems like a really impossible solution. It seems like, like there's no solution. There's an impossibility to take somebody that's been formed and shaped for years and years and years to think a particular way, to default to certain habits and behaviors. And it is impossible if you didn't have the opportunity to die and start all over again. That's why you've got to be born again. The only way to access God's thoughts is for you to die and be alive to a new mind. Being born again sets you up with a spiritual type of infancy to get a do-over on your life. It's radical. I told you, Jesus is a revolutionary. He's not just about trying to do patchwork and trying to take the cheap route and just duct tape some things together, Jesus is actually in the business of total restoration. He's in the business of taking the most broken things and turning them into the most beautiful things. He can't help it because it's who he is. I know some people, myself included, they have some really messed up ways of thinking. Fear and the claws of fear have have dug deep tracks and pathways on your mind. So much so that I was listening to a minister talk along this line not too long ago and he brought up a point that I thought was just fascinating. He said some of these pathways have been dug so deep onto people's minds that they default to things like whenever your uh, spouse goes out of town and they say they're going to be home at five o'clock but they really don't Make it home until 9 o'clock. In that four-hour window, people with deep tracks of fear in their mind, the only thing they can think about is their loved one in a ditch. It's been a wreck. They work themselves up into this ridiculous frenzy. And I love what the minister said. He said, what if it was actually possible to no longer default to the negative, but to default to the positive? What if you were able to actually train yourself to think, well, the reason that my loved one's four hours late is because they're actually stopping to buy me a really big gift. (laughs) But for some of us, our worst fears were irrational and we felt ridiculous when they showed up and they said, man, my cell phone died and I had a flat tire and I ended up doing this. And you breathe this sigh of relief. But because so many of us, don't know how to disassociate anger and fear, the fact that they're okay still makes us angry. (laughs) You couldn't have sent a carrier pigeon to bring me a note that you were okay and we respond in anger and they're still okay. Why? Because you're messed up in the way that you think. What if there was a way to be above that? What if there was a way to experience life like Christ experienced life? It's not a what if, guys. It's a when are you going to start. People want Jesus to radically transform their life, but they don't give them all of it. Jesus, I want you to radically transform your life, but I want to keep my opinions. Jesus, I want you to radically transform my life, but don't touch my default to suspicion and jealousy. Jesus, I want you to radically change my life, but don't mess with my behaviors and the way I think about things. I watch the news religiously. It's part of my spiritual discipline. Don't mess with that. These are the habits and the hang-ups that we are falling short of God's best in because we're not accessing his thoughts. So where vices and addictions come from. And I've kicked a lot of them in my life, but one of them still clinging to me. And that's the way I think about food. <laughs> I've got this problem when it comes to food. And I'm not so prideful that I can't admit it. I'll tell anybody. I'm an open book. It just depends if you want to read what's written there or not. Not everybody does. So don't ask me to be honest because I probably will. I know it's a weird thing I have. I don't know. I should but do you know, I talk to people that are very physically fit and that are, and that are engaged in good physical regimen and diet and they, they just are disciplined in it. And I've asked them, and they said, you know, it really comes down to the way that you think. They say, whenever I think about food, I think of it as fuel. And I said, well, I've never thought about food that way. <laughs> I've thought about caffeine that way. But I haven't thought about food that way. I say, so I've talked to these people. And I've said, so, so you really just think about what's the best and right source of food, fuel to put into your body? I said, doesn't it make you happy? They say, no. So at that point in time, I begin to pray in the Spirit because I'm concerned for them. There's got to be some type of deep emotional trauma from their childhood. That's making them not experience the happiness that food brings. See, food for me is a problem because it's so much more than that. Food's a problem because I think about it a particular way. Food isn't just food. Food is fellowship. Food is community. Food is family. Life's too short to eat bad food and you don't know if you might die tomorrow, so eat as much of it as you can today. (laughs) But then Jesus says stuff like, life is more than clothing and food. (sighs) Jesus, maybe the food scene 2,000 years ago in ancient Palestine wasn't hot but the food seems hot today in 2019. (laughs) Jesus, if you live today, maybe you would know about some of the things that we have. And Jesus says, life is more about what I can put in my body and on my body. And at some point in time, I gotta make a decision. You know what? I might have to change the way that I think. And it seems daunting, doesn't it? How do I even go about doing that? And Jesus says, oh, surprise, I've given you a helper. If you ask him to show you. See, this is something I found that honestly, only I, honestly I can honestly say I've only met people that I can count on one hand and four fingers that ever talk this way to the Holy Spirit. I'm being honest with you. I'm just being honest. One hand, four fingers. Okay, we'll be conservative. Five. Five fingers on one hand, because that's all I got on this hand. And I don't know anybody on this hand. So it's this hand. Really, I honestly can tell you, I've only met about five people my whole life that honestly have conversations with the Holy Spirit. Like this. Holy Spirit, show me truth in the middle of this situation. Jesus said the Holy Spirit's job was to lead and guide you into all truth. Didn't say just some truth. It said he was the helper. It said he was the counselor. Said he was the teacher. I can tell you why we don't access the mind of Christ more because we have zero relationship with the Holy Ghost. We want the wave of a wand instead of a partner to walk us down a path. Changing the way you think. Partnering with God to make a decision to access Christ's mind is how we get into a place of freedom. Now it's time for my story. This is a horrific incident in my life. So for me to bring this up in front of everybody is causing me a little bit of anxiety because I'm going to relive it, all of it. All of it. Last Jubilee, on the day of the women's conference, my wife made a decision to leave all the children with me so that she could go. (laughs) And I said, I would be more than happy to watch your children for you. This morning, so that you can be able to go. Some of you caught it. So I've heard Pastor Dwayne talk about this before. And I actually heard him first say this before I had any kids. And I laughed like an idiot. <laughs> Whenever he said this, I said, oh, it's so funny, Pastor Dwayne, you're so funny. And he talked about how anytime time that, that his wife, Miss Sue, would leave that his kids would have the most insane demonic bowel movements that a child's ever had. And I laughed like you're laughing. What you sow, you reap. I laughed in the seat when he talked about this. I said, oh, it's so funny. And then last year at the Women's Conference, something happened, something horrific and I don't know if maybe I laughed too hard when he first told the story. But multiple children, and I have a herd of children. I don't have a normal amount of children. I have so many, we just, it's a herd of children now. All right? it's, it's, it's a herd. You should see us at the Chinese buffet. It's like the wildebeest migrating. to the. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And that part of me that sometimes still has that poverty mentality raised up is like, we're really going to put a hurtin' on them at the buffet, you know? (laughs) Anyway, but stop thinking that way, too. It's part of the problem. You're not going to hurt them. (laughs) They have more food and money than you do. So here's the thing. So what happens is, and like I said, maybe I've I've really got to ask the Holy Spirit to show me some truth here. But my children, multiple children... Just didn't want it to come out of one end, but two ends. And that's when I really was worried about a demonic situation. Because I had never watched it fully, but I had seen little clips of The Exorcist before, and I got worried. Because they were thrown this way and this way, and it was, it was multiple, multiple. And you know, they don't, make, they, don't make, they don't make diapers to withstand this kind of force. I would really like to leverage some of, never mind, I'm not going to make that joke. I already said the donkey and lamb thing. I can't make another political joke tonight. So here's the, they, can't, they don't make it to withstand this kind of force. And you see when kids are little and, they, and they're small and they don't communicate well yet, they can't tell you that it's coming. You know what I'm saying? You just look at them and the next thing you know, it's there. All right? It's like the thief in the night analogy kind of thing. It's just there. All right, it's there. And of course it's happening in the only room upstairs where there's carpet. And I'm powerless, I can't do anything about this. Now let me tell you what my default is in that situation. My default in that situation always is to inwardly think, why in the world did I have this many children? My default on the inside to say is, why in the world did I agree to watch Serena's children? (laughs) My default on the inside is to feel sorry for myself. Because I don't know what to do when those kinds of things are happening. My instant thought is, I've got to go buy bleach. (laughs) But then I remember somewhere along my life, a wise female told me that you don't put bleach on carpet. I don't know who it was. Is my mom, my wife. You know, one of those wise females in our lives that make sure that males survive. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I've got to dump bleach on the kids. I just need to bleach everything. Because <laughs> that's what I know will kill. This pestilence. And then I remember, I re- any time I've experienced this, I remember laughing at Pastor Dwayne's story. And then I'm thinking now to myself, is there some kind of specific demonic spirit that's assigned to whoever pastors this campus? Because if that's the case, we need to get the intercessors together. We need to pray to break this thing that's making whoever pastors this campus kids do this. This is not good. It was bad. The only thing good about it is it got me out of serving in the nursery that morning because I couldn't leave the house. So it was a legitimate thing. I remember texting. I know I signed up to serve at Jubilee and the kids, but we got a crisis here. I need prayer. Actually stop the women's conference. I need the worship team at my house, the speaker. Just bring them all when you get this thing going. And in the middle of this, I have this, I feel it on the inside of me to, to, to start complaining. Anybody else complain when things aren't going the way you want them to go? Okay, there's about 15 honest people here. That's good. I expect a really awesome response at the altar call because everybody else needs to get saved. But I have this default whenever I'm inconvenienced to gripe. I have this default in my brain that whenever I'm experiencing something like that to say, why isn't their mother here to take care of this? Because I don't know what to do. And in that moment, something happened. It must have been just the fact that it was the anointed week of Jubilee. I don't know what it was. But I had something else rise up on the inside of me. And it was something that I would never, ever say in a time like this. I would preach it in a climate-controlled room or tell somebody in my office that was coming to complain about their kids to me that I was counseling, I would say something spiritual like, well, brother, sister, children are a heritage from the Lord and blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. That's what I would say in a controlled environment, in an environment where all the things are going the right way and it's your problem, not mine. But now it was my problem and it was a nasty one. So as I'm now worried about the carpet, as I'm now worried about what if they don't stop, and there's multiple of them. As I'm thinking about leaving and just going to Burger King calling it a day. They can't get out of the house. They can't drive. Mom will be home. She will find this. I have this thing. And I, yeah, you say, how could you eat Burger King? Like, I told you I have a problem with food. Okay, so I'm going to my comfort. Okay, so in the moment I had something else rise up on the inside of me. And it was this verse. Crazy, huh? Children are a heritage from the Lord. (laughs) And blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. This thing rose up in my heart. And in that moment, I made a decision. Not to just let it be a thought. But to do what we're supposed to do with God's thoughts. And materialize it. And I said out loud, children, our heritage from the Lord and blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them because my default would have been to gripe. My default would have been to get upset. My default would have been to look at the kids and say, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing this? This is terrible because you're inconveniencing me. And not only did I say it once, I kept saying it. And when I picked up the first one in their mess, And I took them to the bathtub, and I scrubbed, and I watched the water turn multiple colors. (laughs) I said, children are a heritage from the Lord, and blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And that really rings true to me because I have five kids, and I can tell you most of the time, with five kids, your quiver is not just full, you're quivering. (laughs) and I was quivering in that moment. And each kid that I put in the bath and scrub, I kept saying this, and I gotta tell you, something shifted, something changed in that moment on the inside of me. I was in a totally different frame of mind. I thought everything is going to be okay. I don't know how to clean the carpet, but I know that there's a way to do it. Besides dumping bleach everywhere, cutting it up, rolling it up, and throwing it out the window. There's a way to do it. And as I kept saying this verse out loud, that it just popped up into my heart, I instantly heard in my mind these words: get baking soda and get vinegar. And I said, God, if that's you, we're not baking a cake. <laughs> I don't know what kind of cake that would be, baking soda and vinegar. That sounds terrible. I heard it again: get baking soda and get vinegar. And I thought to myself, wait a second, I recall there's some kind of a reaction that happens when you dump vinegar on baking soda. And I saw this like bubbling in my mind. I'm like, oh yeah, it's like that volcano we did in science class. I get that. And I said, but what am I supposed to do with it? And I just saw myself putting it everywhere that there was this stuff on the carpet. And I said, this this is nuts. What am I going to dump vinegar and baking soda onto the carpet for? So I did what you should do with all prophetic words to judge them, and I used Google. I got out my phone, (laughs) and I Googled. I Googled. Hey, Google. I Googled. (laughs) Some of you catch that one. I Googled, can you use vinegar and baking soda to clean carpet? Boom. Yes. Vinegar and baking soda is amazing. Did you guys know this? It will bubble stuff up. It was like cleaning the carpet. And I go down, and I don't even have any bleach. But you better believe I got some real old rock-hard baking soda that I start pounding on, make it come back. And I've got, for some reason, this huge thing of vinegar, like a keg of vinegar. I'm like, what is all this vinegar for? What's happening in this house? Is this why the kids are doing what they're doing? Have they tapped into the vinegar? So, I get the vinegar and the baking soda, and I go upstairs, and I'm just like, you know, Tinkerbell. I'm just dusting the vinegar everywhere. Children are heritage from the Lord. Bless me. I just start dumping the vinegar, and the whole room's like fifth grade all over again. And the kids are like, oh, man. So, that's holding their attention. And this stuff cleans the carpet. Amazing. Amazing. And in that moment, what I realized was, is that in the middle of the temptation to default to my old pathways, God and his thought from the mind of Christ welled up on the inside of me. And because I made a decision to think on whatsoever things are pure, lovely, of a good report, I came into an awareness of his mind. And in his mind, I got knowledge that I would not have had any other way. And you say, oh, well... Is that really what the mind of Christ is for? Absolutely. Do you know why? Because God desires to share his thoughts with you. Most of the time, we don't get his thoughts because we don't take control of our thoughts. If God had given me in a moment how to clean my carpets, what makes you think that he wouldn't tell you in a moment how to save your marriage? If God cared enough in a moment to tell me how to clean carpets with poop on them. How much do you believe that he'd tell you how to find healing in the midst of whatever you're walking through? We need God thoughts. But if we're going to get them, we're going to have to learn how to partner with the Holy Spirit to take control of ours. Why don't you stand? Let me pray for you. The ministry teams would come. I want to pray and just speak a blessing over everyone tonight. Thank you so much for taking time on a Wednesday to come and fellowship with brothers and sisters and Lift up the name of Jesus and open ourselves up to what he wants to teach us. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just put your hand on your heart with me tonight. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to allow you to come and receive ministry at the altar as you feel led. And if you're here tonight and you're believing for a miracle, if you're believing for an impossibility to become a possibility... If you're here tonight and you're ready to take a next step in your walk with the Lord and maybe ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit or for some of you take a first step and give your life to Christ, whatever your need might be tonight, we've got amazing people gifted and anointed by God at these altars to minister to you, to flow in the gifts that God's placed on the inside of them and add value to your life. I invite you to come, whatever your need is, after we pray. Father, we're so grateful to you that from the smallest thing to the biggest thing, you've given us access to your mind. I pray, Lord, that by means of the Holy Spirit, who's the great teacher, you would show us how to partner with you to control our thoughts so that we might be more aware of yours. I pray over these next couple of weeks as we delve into this topic more, that the Holy Spirit would lead and guide us into all truth and that people in small ways and big ways, would step into greater awareness of your mind and that that renewing process would be expedited and that we would access the wisdom of heaven for every area of our life. I bless every family here. And I thank you, Lord, for keeping us in the unity of the Spirit and in the bond of peace all because of the Prince of Peace whose name is Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Why don't you give some praise to God if you got anything from him tonight. Awesome. Altars are open for you to come and be ministered to. I do ask if you have kids, go get your kids and then bring them back in here. Be ministered to as a family. It's an awesome time to do that. And love you so much. We will see you Sunday.